0: Our gospel lesson today is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 13, and it's verses 24 through 30. Throughout this chapter, Jesus is teaching in parables. It was just a few weeks ago that Pastor Bob preached from the next parable after the one we will hear today, the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast. But there are a variety of parables, and today we'll hear the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Hear now the word of the Lord. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, "'Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? "'Where then did the weeds come from?' "'An enemy did this,' he said. "'The servants asked him, "'Do you want us to go and pull them up?' "'No,' he answered, "'because while you are pulling the weeds, "'you may uproot the wheat with them. "'Let both grow together until the harvest.' At that time I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, soon after our family moved to Richmond, six years ago almost, it's hard to believe, we selected a house and we realized we needed to put a fence in our backyard. You see, we had hold our kids we'd promised them that once we moved here they would get a dog and a fence was necessary for the kind of dog that we wanted a bigger dog that could run around and, and exercise and so we had a fence installed but part of our backyard actually backs or adjoins some natural area in our neighborhood and in that area and particularly in the summertime it, there are mature trees There's a stream that runs underneath them and lots of other vegetation and growth that will sprout up. So after that first year, the next spring and summer when things started to grow again, we noticed that, especially back in that corner area, some of that natural growth and plants were starting starting to um, move in and invade part of our backyard around that part of the fence. And so when I would go and cut the grass... Um, they would kind of get in the way. And there was in one particular vine or, or plant that would grow. And it would grow up, and it was prickly. It would grow up and then back down and along the, uh, the ground. And so when I would cut the grass, sometimes I would get snagged by that and cut. Um, but Beth was really the person who pointed out that we needed to cut that stuff back, particularly that vine that would grow out into the, weed, into the yard. We had an orderly yard we needed to keep, uh, keep nice. And uh, so she told me, you need to cut that back. And I said, okay, but it was kind of out of sight and out of my mind, and so I kept putting it off until the winter came, and the winter took care of it. It killed it off, and it was gone until, of course, next spring it grew again, and it grew bigger, and there are more of them. But it also began to flower. And after the flowers left, there came a fruit. And I said, ah, this, this isn't just a, a nuisance now it's a plant that provides fruit and I want to see if I can keep it so it was actually a shoot of a blackberry bush or a bramble uh, it some of it had grown into our yard and was growing out of the ground in our yard now and Beth said you know you, we need to cut that back it's invasive it might take over and mess up the fence and I said can I at least try to collect the fruit and then I'll cut it back and so we Kind of came to an arrangement <laughs> where I would collect the fruit and then I could cut it back. But every time, the birds beat me to it. See, the blackberries look like raspberries first. And the minute they turn to blackberries, the birds seemed to always beat me to it. So I never could get the fruit that I wanted from those shoots. This went on for two years. Beth kept saying, you know, you really need to cut that back. It's invasive. It might mess up the fence. It's ugly. And I kept saying, oh, I want to get the fruit. Well, you bet. I guess you can guess what happened. I finally cut the vine back, and it's no longer in our orderly backyard. But I have found that there are more of them back in the natural area that I can attempt to get the fruit from. Still haven't beaten the birds to it, though. So we have cut back that uh, that bramble, and it's no longer in our backyard. Well, today's passage is also features a debate between what is good and what is bad or what is a weed and what is a productive plant. It's a parable that challenges our assumption that we can tell the difference between what is good and bad, what is a weed and what is a productive plant. But Jesus doesn't come out and challenge his audience um, and doesn't tell them initially what is good and what is bad. Instead, he tells a story or a parable. Now, the power of Jesus' parables were how relatable his stories were to the common person. Jesus didn't teach with difficult theological concepts or legal ideas. Rather, he often related what was of ultimate importance to the everyday, mundane activities of the people. He took whatever was around him or the things that farmers, servants, artisans, or everyday people worked with and made accessible the mind of God to them, sort of, kind of. You see, Jesus' parables often had an unconventional twist in them. They were told to elicit responses like, that's not how you skin a cat, that's how a cat skins you. So for us, what follows the story is the hard work of wrestling with what Jesus is demanding of us in these stories. What T.S. Eliot calls hints followed by guesses. Truth, Emily Dickinson encouraged, be told slant. Because the truth is too bright to be told bluntly, lest we all go blind. So we've got to sit with these stories and stew with them for a little while. And so I've been stewing with the parable of the weeds and the wheat this week. What might have motivated this parable? It's only found in the Gospel of Matthew, and to be honest, it's a little bit troubling. So here's a little bit of background for us all. For centuries, the worship, the theology, and the very nature of God was handled by a ruling and elite class of people. Early on, the priests of the Old Testament interceded between the people and God. They were gathered from the tribe of Levi and were set apart for this service. They conducted sacrifices and instructed the people on the rules and laws they were to follow, so as, to, so as the people could stay in a right relationship with God. God was a forgiving God, but there were certain rules which you had to follow in order to receive forgiveness. The priests were the keepers and providers of this forgiveness. Well, fast forward to exile. After the Jewish captives were released from exile and allowed to return to Jerusalem, competing interpretations or philosophies of Jewish law and life developed. The main three interpretations were handled by the Sadducees, or the Essenes, or the Pharisees. The leaders of each of these movements could draw distinct differences between their interpretation of, and the interpretation of others, which sometimes would lead to heated debates and even violent confrontations. While these groups helped give shape to the way that the common people understood their religious and social life and obligations as Jews, their differences for the regular people weren't of life and death you could kind of compare them to the way we identify with political parties or religious denominations today. You know, some people toe the party line and identify completely, if not a little obsessively, with one point of view. Others identify loosely with a set of beliefs, putting less emphasis on whether they are always in lockstep. Well, this is the climate in which Jesus enters the scene, offering the Jewish people a new way of understanding their identity as people loved by God. And how that identity shapes their whole life. And so Jesus offers to the everyday people a picture of life lived in obedience to God that was more straightforward than a strict set of rules to keep. One that communicated to everyday ears rather than the legal jargon that would easily confuse people. Jesus' message was demanding, for sure. But in a radically different way than the Jewish elite's. Who Jesus said of in Matthew 23, 13, they shut the door in the kingdom of the kingdom of heaven in the people's faces. Jesus painted a picture of what present day life lived under God's rule and God's kingdom looked like, and he used seeds, yeasts, coins, pearls, and the like to describe it. These things communicated to the everyday ear. So in Matthew 13, Jesus catches the farmer's ear when he compares first the kingdom of heaven to seed that falls on all sorts of soils. And then as he describes the kingdom of heaven as a field that yields both good plants, wheat, and weeds. And in Jesus' telling of the story, the landowner does some peculiar things. Things that deviate from normal behavior under normal circumstances. The kind of behavior that is designed to make the hearer ask, well, why did he do that? What's that about? Well, last Sunday during Sunday school, the Genesis class and I walked through this scripture, and they gave some great insights. One of them came from Lucas Henderson, who was with us in the early service, and he said he grew up around farms. His grandparents were farmers, and he spent most of his summers with them around their farm. He said they would carry an empty pail or an empty seed sack with them as they would walk through their fields and they always were on the lookout for weeds and if they saw any they would take their knife out or scissors and they'd make sure to get rid of them as quick as possible hopefully before any of those weeds had flowered. And Lucas said that those weeds once they flowered were like dandelions and when the wind would come through the wind would catch it and it could spread those seeds everywhere. So they wanted to be sure they got them before the seeds came out. He said that his grandparents hated weeds so much that when they would be driving through town and they were passing another farm or field and they saw weeds in those fields, they would actually stop and try to get some of those weeds out. You know, they, maybe they took pity on the farmers uh, that they had missed those weeds, or maybe they were thinking if the wind was strong enough, it could even get back to our field. You see, farmers hate Weeds. Weeds can do immense damage to crops. They want to stop it at all costs. So, the twist in today's parable is a landowner's willingness to leave the weeds alone. Well, what is Jesus advocating here? Do the weeds, which the parable casts as evil, really get a free pass in the kingdom of heaven? Shouldn't we take immediate action and uproot and cast out all evil when we see it? Shouldn't God want to do the same thing? Like the servants in the parable, I'm a little confused when I hear the landowner say, just leave the weeds alone. Just what are these weeds that have been so maliciously sown? They appear without good reason. The landowner knows an enemy has done this, but there is no explanation. No further identity or rationale is offered. Have you ever experienced pain or hurt in your life, and there just seems like there is no good reason for why it happened? In today's parable, there is a mysterious, unexplained quality to this seemingly unjust thing that has befallen the landowner's field. An enemy has sowed weeds that threaten the good crop. And so this parable pushes us to consider our response to evil. Doesn't evil normally require some kind of response? Shouldn't the landowner seek justice on behalf of his crop by ridding it of the weeds? The landowner says no. Rather than pull the weeds, he seems to jeopardize the crop by allowing the weeds to grow with the wheat. Or maybe he he may be advocating that the only way to allow the wheat to reach maturity is to leave the weeds alone. He tells the concerned servants that pulling the weeds may uproot the wheat too. An answer to the landowner's unconventional action may actually lie in the weeds' identity. The weed Jesus refers to in this story is likely darnel, or tares. And you can see a couple of examples here. The weed looks so much like wheat in its early stages that they're almost indistinguishable from one another. And by the time you notice the difference, the two plants have become intertwined, if not above ground, and possibly or certainly below ground. Now implicit in the landowner's response to the servant's request to pull the unwanted weeds is, well guys, how good are your eyes? How well can you distinguish weed from the wheat? And perhaps this is the point that Jesus wanted to make. Perhaps this is still the point that his modern day followers continue to wrestle with. How good is our eye? How well can we tell the difference between weed and wheat, between good and bad in others, between right and wrong? Between virtuous action and selfish motives. With this in mind, perhaps Jesus is telling us that in the kingdom of heaven, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between the sinner and the saint. In the kingdom of heaven, the insiders and outsiders live together. In the kingdom of heaven, there is a great temptation to label things as good and bad, to make decisions on who belongs. And who does not? And if this is the case, then this makes the kingdom of heaven a difficult place for most all of us to live. At least as long as we claim we know the difference between weeds and wheat. But if we really long for the kingdom of heaven, if even for a moment we catch that sense of peace and wholeness when we are of one mind in worship, or when we are serving others in Christ's name at the clinic or in Owsley County, then we have to acknowledge what it will take to live in a kingdom that allows both the weed and the wheat to grow together. (coughs) And it is simple. It is really rather simple. We have to acknowledge God is in control and we are not. In the kingdom of heaven, God determines what belongs and what doesn't. God has the eye to distinguish that difference, not us. <coughs> Excuse me. Too often in my kingdom, my kingdom will include justice according to my perspective. My kind of justice creates a dichotomy of right and wrong. Thus, those who are in and those who are out. But according to today's parable, our place in the kingdom of, ho- of heaven requires patience and humility. And it means acknowledging that we are not in control, and those people who appear to be weeds may just turn out to be wheat. And likewise, those who appear to be wheat may just be imposters. But I am a person, probably like you, who wants to set things right, right now. Suffering requires action, so get with it, God. Make things right, right now. And let me be a part of the solution, the setting things right. We all know that in today's social and political climate, we aren't lacking for an opinion of who is right and who is wrong. Who is out and who is in. Who belongs and who doesn't. More than ever, I get a strong desire to shout down the people I disagree with and set them straight. Or at least shake my head, either in disgust or pity, thinking they just don't get it, do they? But the parable of the wheat and the weeds is not told for the sake of our action, but for the sake of our honesty. Our calling as disciples is to act justly to all. Love mercy and walk humbly with God. So our calling is not to be God and do the work that only God can do. While it sounds heroic to seek out and vanquish sin and injustice in the world, it is enough that I simply work on myself and my motives. (coughs) This parable calls each of us to simply be. To be as faithful to the gospel as we can possibly be with the humility to acknowledge that we still have a long way to go. To love others with the love of Christ, knowing that we still will fall short sometimes. To attempt to extend mercy and forgiveness to the people on our right and on our left, even when we're far from agreement. Maybe Jesus might even be teaching us that followers of God learn how to live and even thrive with the weeds around them. Perhaps our love for others Even those we think are weeds is what sets wheat apart from the weeds. And for me, this was my aha moment as I studied this week. So I think it bears repeating. Perhaps our love of others, or for others, even those that we think are weeds, that is what sets wheat apart from the weeds. Jesus lived in a time of competing allegiances. For many, it wasn't just enough to be a Jew. You needed to agree with the way that the others interpreted Scripture and law. But Jesus, in Matthew 25, 31 through 46, (coughs) that's the uh, parable of the sheep and the goats, another example of God doing some separating, indicates that that at the time of the harvest, one way God will identify his chosen will be the way we treat the least of our brothers and sisters, not the fever we practice our religious duties. Likewise, in Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke, the key to eternal life includes the way we treat our neighbor. The lesson of the Good Samaritan is that all people are worthy of being treated as our neighbor. All belong. And sometimes it's the Samaritan, the outcast of society that understands this the best while the religious churchgoers pass on by.